no politician wants to stand up and say, look, this is no mystery. I think it's time we blow up inflation. Let's do that right now. Hi, I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green. This episode of Right Angle brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com who support this with their dollars and their hearts, and we thank them. Uh, Gentlemen, I am just sick and tired of it. Um, I Today, I was reading the Wall Street Journal. It's the final publication that I actually maintain a subscription to at a deeply discounted rate because I'm a very important member of the media. And... um, The story, I thought, it's going to be an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Certainly, they understand what causes inflation. And so I was just going to drink some Kool-Aid of my own that I would enjoy because I know what the real story is here. And by golly, there was nothing but the same lies that come out of the White House about inflation. And so, uh, Stephen Green, I just want us to kick around this uh, underinflated football for a little while to talk about the actual cause of inflation. And all you have to do is go back and look at any video or read any book by Milton Friedman to understand that there is a process that has preceded every inflationary period in history. And that process is an, uh, an expansion of the money supply faster than the production of goods and services in the economy is happening. So essentially, it is a monetary phenomenon. It's not being caused by gas prices or Vladimir Putin or price gouging or anything like that. Steve, is there any way that we can get this through? Because apparently, at least politicians think that the American public could not possibly comprehend this. Yeah, it's real simple. Uh, Although we have a variety of things going on right now. I'll get into that in a moment, but it's very, very simple. Under a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress last year, and the year before that, under a Republican president and another Democratic Congress in in 2020, we uh, created $6 trillion and just flushed it into the economy. Uh, That is inflationary. The economy is something like $22, $23 trillion a year. And we increased the amount of money chasing those goods and services by 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 a quarter. That's huge. We have not even begun to feel all of those effects yet. Uh, I think it was Milton Friedman who said it takes about 18 months for that kind of expansion to take effect. And the last one of those expansions uh, happened in March of last year. So we've still got a little while before that last infusion of cash really starts taking hold. So uh, get used to the idea of looking back fondly on $5 a gallon for gas, which was the nationwide average as of uh, Saturday of this uh, this last weekend. Um, Now, we also have price hikes going on. Every price hike is not inflationary. If uh, the example I like to use is if uh, Hurricane Timmy hits the Texas coast and shuts down refineries, the price of gasoline and oil spike and then it reverts to normal because the emergency is over and they reopen the refinery. That's just a price hike. Uh, we have some, but there are things the government can be doing right now. One, uh, we have price hikes going on because of supply chain disruptions. And we have a secretary of transportation who could be out in front uh, leading various efforts to, uh, to, to untangle the supply, tra- or supply chain issues. He's AWOL. I have no idea what our Secretary of Transportation does other than to tell you that overpasses are racist. Uh, other things government could be doing. Uh, it could be pulling money out 
of circulation. The Fed can do this by selling selling off the assets that it holds. And the Fed's sitting on top of a lot of assets. The Fed sells assets. That money that people pay the Fed to buy those bonds gets sucked out of the economy. That's great. The Fed's not doing that. The Fed could jack up interest rates. Well, it should have been doing that two years ago. It's just starting to do it now. So we're not getting much of that. And at this point, it's going to be purely recessionary. Um, so these are the things the government could be doing to fight inflation and to fight uh, these price hikes that we're experiencing on top of inflation. Uh the other thing we can do is to, to ex allow the economy to expand faster, to catch up to that increased money supply. And you do that by cutting taxes. Well, no, the Democrats want to raise those. You do that by deregulating. Oh, no, the Democrats are on a, on a regulatory uh, high right now. There's Cramping, clamping down on on absolutely everything. I just saw a thing. In order to get permission, SpaceX to get permission to fly its own damn rockets over, uh, to launch its own damn rockets over Texas, they've got to set up all of these things. They have to give five thousand dollars a year to people studying various birds in Texas. I mean, it's it's a it, government mandated slush fund. It's extortion. It it is extortion, and all of this went to delay uh, the launch of Starship. And Starship is going to exponentially increase human wealth by expanding uh, our economy out into the into the asteroid belt and Mars and all the rest. So these are the things that government can do and the things that government shouldn't do. And it's not doing any of the things it should do. And it's doing everything that it shouldn't. Now, Bill Whittle, I think that's the thing that really drives me nuts. It's It would be one thing if uh, President Biden would stand up in public and say, you know, folks, um, obviously inflation's really bad right now. Uh, you've, you've seen the numbers. And uh, honestly, we just don't know what's going on. Uh, so we've just decided we're going to just kind of suck it up and wait it out. That would actually be a better approach. Um, I think <laughs> what concerns me is, Bill, they've got plans. Uh, you know, they, in Steve's episode this week, we talked about how the president was uh, – upset uh, before the AFL-CIO when he gave a speech saying that this reckless spending uh, that people accuse me of, is, is, of, it's all lies. Yeah. Um, but the government rarely sits back and does what Calvin Coolidge recommended, which is if you see uh, 10 problems uh, coming down the road, just stand still. Nine of them will run into a ditch before they get to you. And the government just seems congenitally uh, unable to do such a thing. So, what is the harm of government officials from the Fed to the White House to Congress pulling levers and twisting knobs and trying to fix this? I mean, don't we want our elected officials to do something? Well, they've been twisting knobs and pulling levers, and now we're getting close to $7 a gallon gas. And when you don't have the government pulling knobs and uh, twisting knobs and pulling levers, it's probably around two fifty. Um, that's the whole argument about the government being worse at everything is not something I want to get into here because it's take us till the sun goes out. When I was doing an, a, a lot of public speaking events, I would, I would hold up a, a two pieces of paper. And one of them was an American $20 bill. And the other one was from the Bank of Zimbabwe in the amount of $1 billion. It might have been a hundred billion. I think it was a trillion dollar bill, if I remember correctly. It was a trillion dollar bill. Something. It, it was, was a, a Brazilian dollar dollars. 
<laughs> All right. So it's from so so let's just say it was a trillion dollar bill. It was actual currency that was printed by the government. It's not a joke. Yeah. It's actual currency. And I would hold these two pieces of paper up and I would say, these are both just pieces of paper, right? But if you put them both down on a table anywhere in the world, anybody who knows anything will take this piece of paper, the, uh, the, the American $20 bill, because this piece of paper is worthless. It's worth less. It's worth less. That's what the word means. We, the entire idea of money as a system of exchange is predicated on when we when we exchange money, we're not exchanging our time. We're not exchanging how much we work. We're exchanging perceived value. And the more money there is in the system, the higher the, the, the more money there is in the system, the lower that everything else becomes. Are you going to use your marble example to a close your yes. show? All right, then I won't go there. Um, but but basically. It comes down to this. Money is not when when we when we got off the gold standard, you look at a graph of all of these American economic catastrophes, including national debt, which used to be like this. And then two and all of these economic nightmares. You you look at when they started, if you graph it across American history, it all happened. I want to say it was 73. I'm not sure. But whatever year it was that Nixon took us off the gold standard was the year that everything started to go crazy bad, right? Earnings, uh, you know, what, what the yeah. CEOs were earning versus what the, uh, you know, the, the growth in corporate uh, executive wages versus co corporate worker wages, all of it, all of it, pinned it right there. And there, there's a very simple reason for this, because you can take us off the gold standard, but the reason that things went to hell after that is very simple, Scott. You can't print gold, Right. That's why the gold standard is important. You cannot print gold. You cannot fiat gold into existence. It is a it is a known quantity that does increase over the years, but it's not something you can just, I'm just going to put another couple hundred tons of gold in, into, into Fort Knox. Because if you could, if you could print gold, then gold would be worthless too. It would be worth less. If I could simply manufacture gold, I would have solid 24 karat gold, beer cans right <laughs> so it's not about what it's not about what things cost it's about what we what we use to trade these things and the more of these things that are out there the seashells or dollars or whatever the case may be the more of them that are out there the more of them we're going to use that means we have to ask for more they're going to have to ask for more and away we go it is the money supply if you want to cure inflation steve pointed out that that uh that reagan had the guts to basically put the economy into a recession specifically to get that money supply down and take and take a rough 18 months or two years and then have tremendous growth after that. We're not going to see that kind of courage or sense or even reason from, from this administration because, frankly, Scott, printing money and handing it out to people is what they do. Steve's episode is launched by uh, by Joe Biden standing in front of the AFL-CIO, which is the American Federation of Labor, Congress of Industrial Organizations, uh, and saying, I'm tired of these lies about about us reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. That's what the, that's that's the democratic model of governance. Print money, take money, give it to people, keep a significant amount of it, and pay people to vote for you. And as long as that economic model or political model exists, we're going to be in the trouble we're in now. And I think the big challenge with the fix is just what you pointed out here. And no politician wants to stand up and say, "Look, this is no mystery." 
Um, it's a monetary phenomenon, this inflation. Uh, we've known it long before Milton Friedman espoused that idea. Um, and the way out is to uh, slow the, the growth rate of the money supply and obviously take the burden off of private business and industry so that they can grow faster. And, and that, that takes the inflation out of the economy. But as a result, you're going to put yourself into a bit of a recession and you're going to see higher unemployment. There's just no way around it. That's There's no perfect utopian mean where you can suddenly say, well, everything is just the way we like it. There's There are always trade-offs. But in the long run, it's a better stabilizing policy to handle it that way. Um, and, and no politician wants to say that. So the marble uh, story, as uh, Bill pointed out, I have two, two little stories I want to finish with here. One is, you know, I was one of four boys, and when we were growing up, I could easily picture a situation where um, I had a beautiful marble. And in my mind, a beautiful marble would be purple with flecks of gold in it, and it would just be this gorgeous ma uh, marble. And I could see myself uh, showing that off to my brothers because I was always bragging about what I had and what they didn't. And so I would hold up this marble and show it to my brother Jim. And Jim would look at it and say, wow, that is a really great marble. Why don't you give it to me? And I'd say, no. And he'd say, well, how, what could I trade you for it? And we would begin a negotiation, which I would then demand an unreasonably high uh, price for that marble, but he definitely wanted it. And so I could see this winding up with me getting like, I don't know, his bicycle for it <laughs> or something of equivalent value. Um, and all would be going well until my brother Troy came along and said, hey, what you got there, Scott? And I said, oh, this is fantastic marble. Isn't this beautiful? Oh, yeah, that is beautiful. Yeah, Jim's about to give me his bicycle for it. And he'd be like, wow, that's really good. Um, and then Troy reaches into his pocket and pulls out a bag of identical marbles, 30 or 40 of them. What happens at that moment? Is Jim giving me his bicycle? No, he is not. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because my marble is worth less because there are more of them that are just the same. And the same thing happens when they print money. You don't have to get bound up in academic economic talk to understand that if you've got more marbles, then the value of each marble goes down. Therefore, the things that you can buy with a marble go up in price. So, or down in price. Yeah, up in price rather. Sorry, I'm getting myself confused with, I'm losing my marbles. Um, and this <laughs> reminded me of the solution for this. And I just went through this, I'm a, I do some amateur software development and I ran into a problem yesterday and I'm going to fix the problem. And you know what I did? I did everything I could think of to fix the problem. I changed this and deleted that and removed something else and altered this. And everything I did did not fix the problem. And eventually I decided I'm just going to roll back the software to the point, to a version before I introduced the problem into it. So I deleted like 12 versions of that software until I got back to like February's version of it when we weren't having any problems. And guess what? It still didn't fix the problem. And now I had to go through the very painful process of creating a brand new software application from scratch. Because fundamentally, when I started fixing it, I didn't know what made it go wrong. And I just kept messing with the knobs and the levers and trying to change something that I didn't understand. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Ott. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 